With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's no bigger fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes than Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the Hopper from Dish. Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. For one more beer for me. Exile means quality so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, Exile Brewing, E-X-I-L-E, for me, E-X-I-L-E, let's drink football! Enjoy your exile! The Bigger 10 Podcast, I am John Miller, along with Steve Dace, we are done with spring football in the Big Ten. Steve has been putting together his own ranking system, at least regarding talent. He does a number of rankings. May not, may, maybe not as many power rankings as Phil Steele does, but he has a few. Um, and he puts together, basically, strength of roster. Steve, remind the uninitiated or, or those who have not listened to this in a while what, what these numbers represent. So I started this three years ago, John, because it was clear with the amount of guys that were going pro early now, specialization um, and sub packages like the NFL is filtered its way down to college football, uh, the amount of early enrollees among freshmen, things of that nature, fifth year seniors, except for a few programs, just, you know, you don't see lineups full of fifth year seniors that often anymore. So right. it's very clear that just going by the old returning starters metric wasn't going to work. And I really liked what, um, uh, Bill Connolly does at SB Nation, where he looks at returning production. And I, I think that's a key. Um, it, it's, mu- it's a much better stat than returning starters. Uh, and it counts for a lot of the things I just talked about. But that gives you an idea how good the roster you have returning is right now. We, we, you know, you're dealing with college young men, 18 to 22 years old. The, the improvement they go through even co- during the course of a season where guys get off to great starts and then, you, you know, there's film on them and they go away. Or we get to the end of the year and guys kind of emerge and take teams to another level. And so I, I wanted to see, you know, if could I do something that factored in a metric that Bill Connolly's data doesn't, which is how good could a roster be? And to look at that, you got to look at the base of talent. That, they're, that each team is starting with. And to compile this, what I do every pre the, the last few preseasons, and I did this the first year, and it worked really well. And then I noticed there's a hole in my ozone for uh, programs that do play certain fifth-year seniors or a developmental program, like several of them that we have at a high level in our league, like Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa, for example, how do you account for the amount of guys that come in as three stars and leave us and leave looking like five stars and big high in the NFL? And so I, I needed to add um, a human element to it. And so what I do is um, I, I go back through the last uh, four classes. So 
recruiting classes and I look at the 24-7 composite. So for this year, that's 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. And I look at everybody you recruited, you get five points for a five-star, four points for a four-star, three points for a three-star, and then I don't award anything underneath that. And then what I'll do is if a guy has clearly played above his recruiting ranking, I either give him an extra star or two, depending on, you know, if a guy went from a lowly three-star to he's a returning All-American, I'll make him a five-star because he's played that far above his recruiting ranking, for example. I factor in grad transfers. Um, Fifth-year seniors are only factored in if they're in the if they're in the too deep the depth chart, not if they're just occupying a space. And for the Big Ten this year, instead of waiting until the summertime, I've actually been following this now since January, and we've updated these numbers a couple of times. So the numbers we're going to talk about today is where all the rosters stand as of May fifth. So this does include. Brandon Peters transferring out of Michigan because he was going to be the fifth string quarterback. This does include Illinois. Uh, one of its uh, its backup quarterback announced on Sunday he's going to transfer. So this is the very latest information available. It also includes Luke Ford of Illinois because I think in the end the NCAA will rule him eligible. But if I'm wrong and they 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 don't they deny his appeal, well that would cost Illinois four more roster points. So. These are the latest numbers, and this is, a, this is a pure power rating. This is a pure power rating of the raw material that each coaching staff starts the season with. All right, you have Ohio State at 330. Last year, Steve, were they, I don't recall, but were they closer to 350 a year ago? Yes. Last year, they were one point off of the most talented roster in the country last year. I've not not worked on any of the other conferences yet. That's going to actually begin later this week. But yes, that, that would, that would be probably um, it would be their lowest score in the three, four years I've been doing this. And that's with that 2018 class, which that recruiting class is sitting at that. They got a hundred points out of that class that I don't know that we'll see another big 10 class do that, do that, that, that class was, was filthy. Yeah, which means there's a lot of early entrants coming out this next year for Ohio State. Is that what that means, uh, too? Well, they, you look at everybody they've lost the last few years. I mean, right now they're in the point of they're rebuilding the, the their secondary, their receiver group, their offensive line. They got a transfer quarterback. And, and did I mention they got a new head coach? So there's a lot of moving parts there right now. Well, for Ohio State, the 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 middle of five classes – will likely always be have the highest number. Sure. And that's going to be true um, for probably them, Penn State, Michigan, the teams that not, are what we call not true. dynamic yeah. recruiters. Right. It's okay. not true for yeah. Michigan. Michi- Michigan's fourth-year class, uh, they have 317 points. They're second in the Big Ten. Their fourth-year class is the highest. Um, well, it's, it's, the it's, difference there is you've had a coaching change that came into a that This is the first year since I've been doing this that these are now all Jim Harbaugh's recruits. All right. This is the first full time he's rebuilt uh, that he, uh, the first time he's built the full roster. This will be the, this is the highest talented roster Michigan's had since I've started doing this. And this will be, this is going to be his best team. It may not be his overall most dynamically talented team, meaning there may not be, you know, your Rashawn Gary's, Chase Winovich, Devin Bushes. But the overall depth that they have everywhere on their roster, 
this will be the deepest team, most mature team Michigan's probably had since Lloyd Carr retired. And they are second, as I mentioned. Third, Michigan State. This is a this is a rather large drop off. We went from three thirty to three seventeen Ohio State to Michigan. Now we're going from three seventeen to two eighty nine, tied for third actually. Iowa and Michigan State are both at two eighty nine. And Steve, when you consider what Iowa lost early, obviously other programs did too. So this isn't a vacuum. When you consider the talent that Iowa lost early, they lost four players early to the NFL, which is the most they've ever lost in one year, two first rounders, and then two uh, very early picks in the fourth round. I mean, they might have had, well, they would have probably had over 300, wouldn't they? Yeah, if you look at what Iowa lost, they lost 17 roster points. Mm. Four guys that I would have had rated four stars with what they've accomplished in college up until uh, this point in time, uh, or three guys that I would have rated as four stars with what they've accomplished. And then uh, Hawkinson, as a consensus All-American, would have been rated as a five-star uh, in my team total talent rating. So that's 14 points, actually, for, the, for those four guys, yes, 14 points. So, yeah, that would have put Iowa over 300 points, and that would have made, that would have made this the most talented West Division team since I've started doing this. They actually still are. I think they're about five points above Wisconsin last year. I want to say I don't have it in front of me. I have to go back and look at my preview. But I think Wisconsin last year was at 284, 285, somewhere around there, and had a we're at the right around 25th overall most talented roster, which you know for a developmental program that's really good. Okay, so you know, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking Iowa is going to end up being when we finalize these in July for the preview. They'll be the most talented team from the West Division. Uh, at least, they'll, at the at the very least, they'll be the most promising um, uh, pot of clay to be molded out of the West Division since I've started doing this. And then Michigan State also with Iowa there at two eighty nine. They're digging out now. Michigan State's the opposite of what they were a year ago. All last offseason we talked about. I think they're overrated. Their depth isn't there. Their starters are as good as all the three, the, the other big three in the in the Big Ten East. But if they have injuries, look out. They did have injuries, and we just basically saw their offense bottom out. This year, I, my numbers are saying they're underrated, that their depth is better than it was a year ago. So um, I think last year, people that were talking about, you know, put them in the top ten with all with, you know, the most returning starters in the country, and it didn't pan out. This year, I've seen several top 25s post-spring that don't even have them in there. They absolutely should be a top 25 team. Um, next up, not too many rungs down. We go from 289 to 286 is Penn State. So the way to break this out is it's, it's really clear Ohio State and Michigan are going to have rosters set apart from everybody else. And now we're yes. going to get into where the bunching is going to happen and where game day coaching and and – Strength and conditioning off-season development now will will show up on game days to sort of determine what you did with that clay mold. And so you look at Penn State, they actually have lost even more point, far more points than even Iowa has. When you look at losing 13, I think it's 13 guys that had eligibility to play on this year's team, you know, they have gone from a score that would have been right around where Michigan is at um, to where they're at right now in the Big Ten which is which is fifth. 
Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. That was a seemingly every other day somebody's leaving Penn State again there for a while. Um, next, not far behind Penn State. Uh, Penn State was at 286. Purdue is at 280. Well, what you're saying now is is he's rebuilt that roster and fast. Um, and when I say rebuilt, you know, what Jeff Rom has done there, they don't have the depth of the teams above them, but they have the depth you need to be a serious, competitive week-in and week-out team in the Big Ten. And if the schedule breaks the right way, you know, that's how you can win a West division. So, you know, we saw them really come on in the second half last year. They got off to that wretched start, but they were really competitive in all those games they lost. I mean, they they actually blew those games. They blew Eastern Michigan and Northwestern both with terrible pe- penalties. Um, uh, they kind of choked uh, in the – well, they didn't really choke so much in the Missouri game. That was just kind of back and forth, and the Missouri scored at the very end of the game to win. So none of those were blowouts. They were in all of those games. And then, you know, for from about – Mid-October to early November, they were clearly the best team in the West. And then their depth kind of petered out there towards the end. So um, he's rebuilt that. He has rebuilt that roster there. And he's worth Jeff Brom is every nickel they're paying him. Next, just one point below Purdue is Maryland at 279, which is surprising. Well, you know, they had two back to, they had back-to-back top 25 classes. Um, under DJ Durkin, a lot of almost all those guys are still there. I mean, Mike Loxley has been has been given a competitive roster. Now, the thing about him, he's been a head coach before. We forget that he's been in our oh, league yeah. before. We forget that too. He was um, uh, your all-time favorite Big Ten football coach's uh, offensive Ron coordinator. Sook. He was his offensive Ron, coordinator. He brought in a lot of that talent from the DC area. Yep, and that was when they had. The uh, the maybe the most uh, lethal read option duo in, we've ever seen in the Big Ten with Juice Williams and Rashard Mendenhall mm-hmm. and Aurelius Ben was their big play receiver and they got to a Rose Bowl. From there, he got the job at New Mexico as a head coach, and it's one of the worst resumes in the if, if, of a head of a head college football coach in the 21st century. Unmitigated disaster, dumpster fire, hot garbage. Uh, opened a butt cheek and squeezed a turd out, put all those things together, and they only approach how bad he was at New Mexico. Then he got the job as the offensive coordinator at Alabama, and that's what you know, that's what Nick Saban does. He resurrects woebegone coachings, coaches, uh, and you know his resume there speaks for itself. Although, you know, he kind of, I, I, in my view, I think he benefited from the trail that. Um, Oh, uh, what's his face? That's at Florida Atlantic now. Um, uh, the guy, what's that? Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. Yeah, I think he benefited greatly from the trail Lane Kiffin blazed. I think Lane Kiffin did a lot to convince Saban that that a more wide open offense was the way to go, and and then I think he inherited a guy named Tua Tagovailoa, who's you know pretty good at this football thing. So we'll see what he does at Maryland. Um, you know, they were dynamic offensively at times last year uh, with the interim coach and with everything going on off the field. They had the, the Big Ten's best non-conference win last year, uh, beating Texas. So I'll, I'll be fascinated to see what he does because he comes in with a huge reputation. He's a hometown DMV boy. He comes from the Crimson Tide. But, 
you know, the last time he was a head coach, it was uh, horrible. And he's taken on maybe the, the best division in college football, other than the division he was just in, the SEC West. And he's got a roster that if this is, here's the thing. They have to be in the, if they're not in the postseason this year, with this roster and the hype he comes in with, I don't think that's a good omen for where this goes in the future. Right. If it was any other program, I would probably have said it was a horrible mistake. Given that this is the home, that he has been a head coach and failed at it. Um, he went to work with Saban for a little while. Um, he's in an opportunity that maybe he didn't think he'd have again. I, I, I certainly wouldn't write him off. I, I'm not singing his praises. I'm just saying um, – I've known some people to to flame out in early opportunities to learn a lot of lessons, and the second chances have been what puts them over the top. We'll see. There there were some things that were off, away from the football field at, at New Mexico that were concerning as well. So he had a lot to learn. Behind Maryland, uh, seven spots down, 270. We're kind of at the midpoint right now, uh, is Minnesota. Well, you look at P.J. Fleck, and you can see – um, they have the few other than Penn State with because a lot of the guys that left at Penn State came out of that 2016 class. Other than Penn State, their 2016 class has the lowest score of any team in our league, and so um, that's the year before PJ Fleck arrived. That, that was the season that uh, you know he went undefeated at Western Michigan, and now he's he, you're looking at a similar trajectory to Jeff Brom. He's just a year behind him. You know, so, but you're looking at a very similar trajectory there. And I mean, that's a program that's on the come. No question about it in the Big Ten West. No question about it. And one point behind them is, and, and tied Nebraska at 269 and Indiana at 269. Well, because I sent you the full table, I won't publish the full table because I can't figure out how to publish all these spreadsheets, forms. So people, when I publish my preview, I take, I take, I, yeah, I take screenshots. Yeah, they will just see the final numbers. But you can see, because you're looking at the full table, it goes back to what we talked about on the Hawkeye Nation podcast, where Frost is still trying to rebuild a roster that has gone through three schematic evolutions in recent memory. You know, you look at those two scores, they got 100 combined points, roster points in the 2016 and 2017 classes. They got they got as many com- they, actually they got fewer combined points in those two classes than Ohio State does in its 2018 class. Now, but if you look at their trajectory and the roster points they've accumulated the last couple of years, better beat them now. Better get them now if you're in the West. Yeah, that 89 point 2019 is is the third highest for any one class that's on the board right now. So that's. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, and Wisconsin is at 264. I was kind of surprised to see them down there. What's happened in Wisconsin is you've got a developmental program in a down cycle right now. They have to cycle back up. You know, they had this run where they had the back-to-back double-digit seasons in 2016 and 2017. They brought a, lot, a ton of those guys back. Uh, they were preseason number four. That's tied for the highest preseason ranking in the AP poll in the history of Wisconsin's program. And they went seven and five. Some of it was injuries. Um, you know, some of it was they just could never uh, get that uh, that offense in order. 
Some of it was the, the defense teams are kind of starting to figure that out now. And there were injuries, all kind of a perfect storm for them. And, and now they've lost a lot of those guys uh, to the NFL and to graduation. They've had some attrition there, too. Looks like they're going to go with a freshman quarterback in Graham Mertz. Uh, highly acclaimed. Some people thought he was the best quarterback in the last class um, in what was overall not a great quarterback year. Uh, but um, this is just going to be a young team. I think it's going to be a seven and five kind of team again for them, but I think it's going to feel differently, meaning last year's team at seven and five, dramatic underachievers. No way they should have been seven and five. This Northwestern. year, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, this year it's going to kind of feel like they're building for 2020 and 2021. Northwestern is next at 248. What I find interesting about Northwestern is that each of their 16, 17, 18, and 19 classes, 56, 55, 55, and 58 points, no more than three-point variance from top to bottom. And they have the most points in the fifth-year senior category. Um, that, is, that is an interesting set of numbers for Northwestern, who is usually down – at the bottom of your power rankings here, and they usually don't finish there. Pat Fitzgerald's a hell of a coach, um, knows what he's doing. They have a certain the, – the, the margin for error there is slimmer than maybe anywhere else in a Power 5 school except Vanderbilt. And he knows that, you know, in terms of what he demands as a coach and what the university demands academically and who they can actually sign – the list of guys they can bring in is shallow. And so those numbers are always going to look pretty much the same every year because they bring in, there's an archetype they always bring in. And right. then you look at their fifth year senior numbers and the time that they spend developing those guys. Now, the, now what Northwestern has also figured out, though, is you can't hide your quarterback in college football. If you have a good one, if you have a dynamic one, that rising tide lifts all boats. And if you go look at the years where his teams have underachieved or not been good, it's always been a year where they had a C.J. Bechet at quarterback instead of a Dan Persa, for example. It's always been that kind of a team. You know, the last couple of years, you had an NFL quarterback in Clayton Thorson guiding the ship. This year, he's gone, but they're bringing in a, the former five-star signee from Clemson and Hunter Thompson. So... Um, Depending on how quickly he can get up to speed, um, you know, I, I don't know that they'll skip a beat there. Illinois is next at 247, and Rutgers is at 244. That's, isn't that the way it's supposed to look? It is, and, and frankly, you know, you could have just said enough said and could put a bow on that one. Yes. It's, you know, I mean, in looking at their numbers, Illinois' 2019 has 44 points. I mean, I, I, I don't see this turning around for Lovey. I don't either. I don't. And I, I don't, I'm not close enough to know why it didn't work, a guy with his resume. Um, and, and maybe it just came down to he just wasn't able to get the the day to day act um, demands are probably is probably a better word of being a college coach and the amount of time you have to relate to players and recruits and high school kids 
as opposed to the time that you're, you know, you get to play mad science in the NFL, break the right. film down the rest of the year. Uh, and maybe, who knows, a combination of things, uh, you know. But I, I think uh, I think we're at many, many take a La Parson stage here. I think the I think the writing's on the wall, brother. All right, so we'll dive back into these numbers and, and give them even greater context in sometime in July when you've done this for the rest of the country. Yep, this is stage one of how I do my preview now. These are the, the power ratings that I will then base um, everything else off of, uh, as, and, as well as my coaching ratings. And then I'll take a look at how you have applied these things into, into roster building. When I rank every team's unit in the power five against all the other teams in their conference. And the reason I do it against the team in your conference, because that's about 80% of the, of the schedule you're going to play every year is against mm -hmm. those teams. So you measure up against them is more important than anything else. And then we'll go through the schedule uh, and project how we think the, the 2019 season will, will unfold and we'll call our shot in July and, you know, last year's publication, if you go back and look, we were ahead of the curve on several teams. Um, and, you know, every year I do a mock draft. My first mock draft is part of that. And last year, last July, I correctly predicted 14 of the 32 players that ended up getting picked in the NFL draft eight months later. So there you go. I'm guessing that's good. Yeah, actually, it was like 11 months later, now that I think about it, or, or nine months you, later. Yeah, uh, I, know, I know you buy a number of these magazines. Have you gone and reconciled there? Because uh, I'm sure you know, these magazines are looking to fill pages, so I'm sure they're all doing the same thing. You got you to gotta check that out and go back and look at that. I'm, you know, you and I used to, what was the website we used to go to that kept track of that years ago? Do you remember? Well, I mean, there, there's a website that I that I go to for scores or historical scores and college football magazine consensus, and that's Stassen. I don't know that they do that for you know, projecting the first round draft picks from the magazines a year in advance. Yeah, there was there was a website that used to keep track of how accurate all of the uh, preseason magazines are. I think right now it, it, it tends to be, if I remember right, the last I heard, Athlons and Phil Steele tend to battle back and forth. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, talk, you're talking about you're talking about just accuracy on conference predictions. Yeah, that's yes. that's. I, I, I was yeah, talking yeah. about accuracy of your um, first NFL first round draft. Oh, because you know all those magazines are filling space. Sure. So they probably all did that last year. So you should go dust off your. Uh, 2018 college football preview stack and and see how those people fared in their you know projecting the first round of the draft compared to you yeah yeah i even thought about that yeah you mean like we did with joe lenardi when i did my two week out bracketology and yes compared it to yes. what he put out two weeks out yeah yeah it's garbage all right exactly but yes stassen sta you know I, i've never given this away before because I, i'd like to keep something secret just so people you. think than I am, but maybe it's time. S-T-A-S-S-E-N, stassen.com. Uh, that is my go-to. I don't, I don't know how many times I visit that during the course of a college football season. I bet, I bet a couple hundred um, for historical scores, for looking at winning percentage of all time or, or cutting it up, looking at head-to-head, -head, and then 
you know, the most overrated, most underrated. It, it is a, you know what? I'll just say this. You're welcome, America. Go have some fun with it. So let me ask uh, you, looking at yes. these numbers from the outside, looking in, what do you think? What surprises you? What, what stands um, out to you? Stands out is better than surprise, probably. I think that you're right, and I don't like to admit this, but I have to be unbiased relative to opinion. Nebraska, it, I have a hard time believing that they're not going to get back to being, you know, it's it's going to basically be Nebraska and Wisconsin muttered in the, the same breath every year with regards to well, who's going to be the favorite in the West? And you just kind of auto default to those two, just the way that Nebraska is going to recruit under, recruit under Scott Frost. And I, I, they, they do have a really good strength and conditioning program. Uh, the dude that oversees that's the dude that you know, was there back in the nineties, as much as sometimes I want to mock and make fun of some folks on Twitter, it, it is factual. So that, that 89 number really jumped out at me. And I think that next year's number will probably be just as good. Uh, I was surprised to see Wisconsin where they are. But then again, you know, when I look at them, I look at Iowa, I see two programs that are developmental programs. Wisconsin maybe has a better idea uh, consistently of who and what they are. Um, and, you know, the 18, 19 numbers, both Wisconsin and Iowa are very similar. I, I think Iowa has probably recruited a little better than they have historically. So I was surprised to see those 18 and 19 numbers where they were, but they're still a developmental program. Uh, Michigan State's 2018 number of 82 is a really solid number. It's the tie for the second best in the Big Ten. But who are they tied with? Indiana at 82 in 2018 class. That surprises me. Maybe that's something that we need to pay a little more attention to relative to what we think Indiana might be this year. Michigan's uh, 2017 uh, is at 81. Michigan State's 83. I agree. Michigan State is a definitely a team to watch. In Iowa, that's a great score. But as we talked about on the HN podcast this week, their schedule may just be too tough to tame. So that's what I think. Yeah, Purdue, I mean Purdue's, Purdue, Purdue's numbers in 18 and 19 were 77 points in 18 and 83 points in 19, and that's. Those are some big numbers. You know, That's if legit, I had, the spreadsheet, if I had yeah. the spreadsheet in front of me right now, I would put a column in and I'd add a column and I and I total the 18 and 19 columns just in a two-column look, a two-year snapshot. Yeah. I bet Purdue's no worse than fifth. I mean, right now, just by looking at this, you know, Ohio State's 166. Uh, Michigan is 162. Michigan State is 142. Iowa is 136, Penn State is 159, so that's third best, and Purdue is 160. I mean, they're right there with Ohio State and Michigan that are at 166 and 164. That's a great way of looking at it. Tom Beaver, when he used to run the the Michigan site for back when it was Scout.com before 24/7 bought that network, um, that's what he and he used to when I used to write for him on that site. That was his big thing. He was the that he was the recruiting guru, and and his big thing was to look at classes in two year increments, because those are, especially the amount of guys with attrition and guys who go pro, et cetera, redshirt, that that those those two year increments are going to make up together the bulk of a two deep every year are going to be those two classes by and large. So 
uh, that's an excellent way of looking at it. And it gives you an idea of, of where the where the trajectory is at. No question about well, it. I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I, could, I could see Iowa and Wisconsin like a year from now, given what it looks like Iowa's going to lose this year. Couldn't you see Iowa and Wisconsin almost like flip their positions? Yep. You know, or maybe Iowa has a down cycle year with what they're going to lose after this season. And Wisconsin has a full more year to develop and bring a whole bunch more guys back. And they go up another 20, 25 points. In those yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I, I think looking at that 1918 combined in a two year gives you a real good feel, maybe more so for the teams that are not Michigan and Ohio State, because they're always going to be rolling there. Looking for the teams that maybe have the chance to make the best movement if they're coaching if their coaching stability is on solid footing and mm-hmm. if they have you know, plus, let's just say plus coaching effect impacts like a Purdue for Purdue to be at, at maybe third, just behind Michigan and Ohio state in the 18, 19 number, that's something worth looking at. And then Nebraska next year, when you see what Nebraska is going to have for their 1920 number before all said and done, they might have the highest number of any team in the big 10. They could. I mean, then you look at, you think of, you start thinking of next year with Purdue. Sindelar was just granted a sixth year, I believe. So you bring mm-hmm. him back, and they have another year to recruit. And a lot of the vast majority of guys they're playing this year are going to be back next year. Um, that could be a, that could be a really good football team in 2020. Yeah. Uh, is Purdue? Yeah. Brahms in the right division, and he stayed. I bet in part because Big Ten money and being in the right division. No doubt. See, I wouldn't guarantee that Wisconsin will just automatically come back. I wouldn't guarantee I, that. I, I would agree. I think. I, mean, I, I don't think they're going to go away, but it's a much tougher division now. And Purdue is getting – Purdue and Nebraska, you know, to me there's, there's, there's three tiers of recruiters. There's your dynamic recruiters, meaning schools that are regularly in the top 15 to 20 recruiting classes – which means they are more than they are more capable of replenishing talent on the fly and reloading than the rest of college football. Right now, we got three programs like that in our league: uh, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. But if you look and you just noted those trajectories, ne- Nebraska, but especially Purdue, with Brom having a couple of extra year jump start here, they're right on the doorstep of joining those ranks. They're, they're, well, yeah. They're, they're, then there's what? Then there's developmental programs. That's the next tier, and then those are schools now where where coaching effect is a much higher factor because of how you mold that clay and the game day decisions you make. Uh, and then what we then there's what I call bottom feeders, and that's Rutgers, Illinois, in our league, et cetera. Yeah, and I think you think of Purdue. You know, I don't know how you defend them, frankly, because if you're Wisconsin, you've got the three four. And they like to blitz from areas that you don't know where it's coming. Well, you know what? That plays right into their hand. They're just going to get it underneath on little on little drag routes to Rondale Moore, this bell mm-hmm. kid out of uh, Indianapolis, Warren. I mean, good good luck with that. I was shifting to a four two five so that they can finally actually get defensive backs guarding wide receivers and not linebackers guarding receivers. Right. But even even then, it it, it is a tough out. The Big Ten West is fascinating stylistically. You've got Iowa and, and uh, Wisconsin, who Mark Morehouse of the Cedar Rapids Gazette says uh, likes to say that they're playing for they're, they're two polar bears fighting over the same block of ice with how they play. Uh, That's a great got, line. You know, 
Yeah. When you got Nebraska now playing the, the tempo that they want to play, um, you know, with the a little bit of a power spread, and, and you've got Purdue doing what it wants to do, and it, it's it's a fascinating division. It's it's not up to the talent level of the East, but that doesn't mean it's going to be any less entertaining. No, with the problem you have with at Wisconsin is, you know, they've been on a twenty five year run. That's the best they've done probably since pre World War Two. And you've got now in your conference, I know you're not a P.J. Fleck guy. I understand why. And I'm not saying he's at the level of a Frost or a Brom, but he's in that class in that you have three, or he's, he's in that um, description, in that you have three dynamic personalities who are also, though, real football coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, P, P.J. Fleck is a better football coach than you think he is. He may not be as good of a football coach as I think he is, but he's not that clown show Tim Brewster either. He's an actual football coach. He's building a program there. All right. It may never be. He may never approach the success that Scott Frost has in Nebraska, or maybe Jeff Brom can have at Purdue. But this is not the bottom feeder division anymore where Wisconsin kind of knows who they are. They stick to their identity and they can they can go third. They can win. You know, in 2016, Wisconsin won 13 games, and they had and they lost to Michigan, Ohio, Ohio State, and Penn State. You know, um, you won't be able to do that anymore. You're just not that division. The division's too good now. Those other programs have invested heavily now. Uh, use that Big Ten network money. Northwestern may have built the best indoor facility in our league. Minnesota has built a facility unlike anything I've ever seen in our league with that Champions center or whatever they're calling it. Um, you know, you've got real coaches, real investment now. Wisconsin's not just going to be able to program people anymore, meaning we know our identity. We impose our will on you because you don't know who you are and your coach is a joke. They're not going to be able to do that anymore. That era is absolutely gone. So uh, that doesn't mean they won't win the West again or anything of that nature. But this idea that, you know, you just automatically put them in the race, I, I don't agree with that. I think that's I, I could see them being kind of where Michigan State is at in a way, you know, where Michigan State goes, you know, uh, three and nine and then goes 10 and three and then goes seven and six. You know, I, I could kind of see that where they have a down year. I think it's coming this year. And then, you know, maybe they go eight, nine, eight, nine wins the next year. Then they get to Indianapolis the year after that. And then they have another down cycle again. I guess what I'm trying to say is I kind of think Wisconsin now is just another good West division team. Yeah, and, and when you're a developmental program, as Wisconsin has been, but they've done so well that they can win a few more recruiting battles than most developmental program wins. When you stall and you stutter and it's multi-year, kind of puts you back down a few runs on the benefit of the doubt in recruiting, and you just have yes. to rely on your ability to develop talent again. That lowers your margin for error. So Wisconsin could, could be losing a little bit of their uh, immortality, if you will, relative to their standing as a developmental program if they I, I have another down year. I can't calculate how damaging losing to P.J. Fleck in his second year at home. Letting Agreed. him, A, you know, break the rock, to pardon, uh, pardon the borrow phrase from Iowa, letting him break the rock or row the boat, I guess, since we're talking Minnesota, letting him row, row the boat uh, in the rivalry game that they had dominated at all uh, or, or in, in total. But I don't even remember the last time Minnesota won a game at Camp Randall. Letting him go in there and punk them in their own stadium like that, the boost of legitimacy that gave to Minnesota um, 
and you know what I've always said? Um, I'm, I'm Austrian when it comes to real world economics, but I'm total Keynesian when it comes to co- recruiting. Everybody cannot be good at the same time. Somebody has to suck. So if, if Northwestern's not going anywhere with Pat Fitzgerald still a relatively just now kind of entering his prime as a coach um, and the program he's established and you have Minnesota's on the come. I was not really going anywhere, at least as long as Ference is there. You have Purdue on the come. Nebraska went out and, you know, has signed maybe a force of nature head coach. You know, someone's got to go six and six, seven and five, John. And everybody's not going 10 and two. That's not the way it works. You know, Indeed. your success is at somebody else's expense because you're beating them in order to, to generate your own success. Indeed. All right. That'll wrap up this edition of the Bigger 10 podcast for Steve. I'm John. We'll talk to you next time.